Amen. That was beautiful. Good playing too, Randy. Well, y'all, we are, I'm excited this morning. One reason, because we have our children with us. This is our, our fifth Sunday, and so we have our children in here in the service. And guys, I just want you to know, children, that we are so glad you're here with us. You are a, a special part of our church family. We love you. We're proud of your parents, your grandparents, whoever it is that brought you. Thank you for making sure that your kids are getting the Word of God. Now, my, my boys told me I need to preach fast. <clears throat> I don't know that I'm going to make a promise I won't keep, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. So let, let's get our thinking caps on. Be ready to move. So get your Bible and open to the book of John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And we'll study together. We're taking the opportunity not so much to talk about what Jesus has done, but rather to talk about who Jesus is. Because I believe that we are transformed. Transformation occurs not when we stare at our own strength and our own weakness, but when we gaze into Jesus. When we stare at Jesus, when we behold Jesus, that is when transformation occurs in our life. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I like that. We're on different journeys, aren't we? My degree might be different than your degree, and that's okay. We're one degree to the next trying to be like Jesus. Hebrews says, looking at the author and perfecter of our faith. So we are seeking Jesus, and by doing so, transformation happens. Do you remember back in Exodus chapter 3? There's the the burning bush, and Moses comes forward, and God gives Moses the plan to go and deliver the Israelites out of the Egyptian bondage. And Moses says, but, but Lord, when I go and they say, who sent you, what am I to say? When I go into Egypt and they say, but who sent you, how should I respond? And the Lord said, you tell them that I am. I love that. You tell them that I am sent you. There's so much depth to that, so much richness to it. You tell them that I am sent you. And now in the book of John, Jesus takes that and he completes it. And seven times he gives what we call the I am statements. And each one of these statements gives us a glimpse into the character and the person of God. And so they begin to reveal a new facet about God if we'll pay attention to it. Remember Matthew, Jesus was walking with his disciples and he turned to them and he asked the question, Easy question, who do people say that I am? And they responded, and they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. All those are good things. Now, they're not good enough, but they're all good things. But then Jesus turned, and he asked a follow-up question. You remember? And he said, but, but who do you say that I am? But, but who do you say that I am? And that's the question. That's the question for every one of us here this morning. Who do you say that Jesus is? Now, your response, it does not change who Jesus is, but it does change you. It does change your life. It does change your eternity. 
And so we're going to begin looking at who is Jesus. And in John chapter 6, we come to where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now, if you were with us two weeks ago on a Sunday evening, you remember we began this. And so we're going to review a little bit and then move forward. So let me set the context up for you. In John chapter 6, we come and we find Jesus, and he is just doing some incredible things. He's healing the sick, and he's teaching, and he's preaching. And the Bible says that there is such a large crowd, 5,000 men, probably another 5,000 or so women plus children. There's probably around 20,000 people on this hillside, 20,000 people who are listening to Jesus as he speaks. And have you ever been in a service, I'm sure you haven't, but have you ever been in a service when the preacher keeps going and going and going and you start getting hungry and your stomach starts to rumble? And one of those occasions happened. And so the disciples came and they said, we've got to do something. The people are hungry, but we don't have food and we don't have enough money. There's so many people. We've got to, we've got to send the people away. And Andrew, the brother of, of Peter, he said, I've got a little sack lunch. A boy brought it. It's got just a handful of fish and bread. I'm not sure what we can do with it, but here it is. And the Bible says that Jesus blessed the meal, and then he gave some to the disciples and told them to go and hand it out. So you can imagine he goes to, to Peter, and he gives him a little bitty bit of fish and a little bitty piece of bread and says, Go feed those 2,000 people. <laughs> and then he goes to the next, James, little piece of fish, little piece of bread. And they go, and, and I just imagine they begin to eat like Baptists eat. You know, they eat all that they can. They eat until they're full. They eat until they're satisfied. And the Bible says they pick up 12 basketfuls left. Amazing miracle of God. An amazing moment to where you see that there's just a little bit, but God does an incredible thing. Now, look in your Bible, chapter 6, verse 14. Maybe you've never noticed this part, but it's important leading up to our statement. It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, talking about the bread, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And perceiving that they were to come and take him by force to make him king. You see that? They are going to force Jesus to be their king. They say, man, this guy's incredible. Look what he just did. He just fed us. Let's make him our king. And Jesus knew that. So it says that Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus knew they were coming. And so Jesus slips away by himself. Then the disciples, they get in a boat. They go out a few miles into the sea, and a storm comes. And so the wind is blowing, and the waves are crashing. They're afraid. And they look in the distance, and they see a man. I don't believe they knew who it was. And so the voice comes from the man, and he says, It is I, do not be afraid. It is I, do not be afraid. Now, we miss it, but in the Greek language, it, it says, Ego imi. You know what that means? It means I am. When Jesus was standing where only God can stand, he said what only God can say, and he said, I am, do not be afraid. 
And I believe the disciples, they heard that and they thought about it and their mind went back to Moses. Their mind went back to Exodus and they, they realized that he just said, I am. Do not be afraid. And so in the next verses, we see where Jesus takes this. He takes the bread. He takes I am. He puts it together and he builds on it. And he says, I am the bread of life. So we see there's going to be three questions, three answers, and then the statement. So look at verse 24 and 25. We're going to move quickly to the, through the first one, and then we'll, we'll go on through. Verse 24 and 25. It says, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats, and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. The first question is the question of motivation. The crowd has completely misunderstood Jesus. And so they come to Jesus, they find him, and they call him rabbi. Rabbi means good teacher. It means respected one. They are, they are in awe of Jesus. <clears throat> they are impressed with Jesus. They are encapsulated with Jesus. But I want you to notice that Jesus calls out their improper motives. Jesus does not allow the crowd to simply make him a good teacher. It's not enough to say he's a good teacher. It's not enough to say that he's just a good man, for he is so much greater. And so he calls them out on their improper motives. Jesus calls their spiritual bluff and calls out the source of their seeking, which is their stomachs. And he goes and he says, truly I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You know what signs do? Signs point to something, right? The sign is nothing but it points to something. You get on the interstate, 100 miles to Dallas. You drive for 20 minutes, 98 miles to Dallas, right? The sign is nothing, but it points to something. The whole point of the bread, it was not about the bread. It was not so they would be full. It was so that they would be pointed to Jesus. The whole point of it was to point to the Messiah. It was to point to Jesus. But they are not concerned with Jesus. They're just concerned with what Jesus is going to do for them. They want to know, how are you going to make my life easier? How are you going to bless my life? Let's force this man to be our king because then he can provide breakfast, he can provide lunch, he can provide supper. And so Jesus calls out, their motivation. So I want to ask you this morning, what is your motive for following Jesus? You, you woke up early this morning? Anybody tired this morning? You wanted to hit snooze? I did. But you came anyway? What's your motivation? Why do you do what you do? Why do you give? Why do you support? Why do you work? Why do you teach? Why do you sing? Why do you lead? Is it because of Jesus or is it because what you think Jesus will give you? Is it just because he's the, the great Santa Claus? Is it because 
he's the delivery man that brings the good package? Or is it about Jesus? You see, their, their motivation was to come to Jesus, but Jesus says, you don't want me, you just want my miracles. And so the answer is the answer of purpose. Continue on in your text. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God and the Father has set his seal. You notice there's a distinction between that which is temporal and that which is eternal. And so Jesus condemns their motivation and provides what they should be seeking after. Don't seek after that which is temporary, but seek after that which is eternal. Well, what is the eternal food? Well, what is the temporal food? When Jesus performed that miracle and the bread was distributed and people ate, you know what happened the next day? They were hungry. Isn't that amazing? You ever been at a meal and you ate so much it was like, oh, I could never eat again in all my life. You ever done that? And then the next morning you wake up and you look to your spouse and you say, I am starving. I am hungry. They had the meal, they had all they could eat, but the next day they're still hungry. When God provided the manna from heaven, it was good, but the next day it had to be done again. He says, don't, don't seek after that which is temporal. Seek after that which is eternal. Now, when he's talking about bread, it's more than food. Amen? He's talking about that in which we, we find value in. He's talking about that in which we need. He's talking about that in which satisfies us. He's talking about that in which fulfills us. And, and for you, maybe it's a relationship. For you, you, you try to fill it with a relationship. Or maybe it's a job. And your bread, you try to fill it with this job, but he says that job is temporal. It will never satisfy you to completion. Or maybe it's a bank account or an investment account, and you're trying to find satisfaction through this money or through this account, but it's, it's never quite enough. All these things that we seek after in life, they are never quite enough. We're seeking that which satisfies, that which pleases us. But the bread that you are seeking will always die. That's what the Bible says. It says it will always die. You think it will satisfy you, but it never will. So he questions their motivation. Number two, I want you to see the question of works. Look on in your Bible. We're just going right along. <clears throat> and then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we do in order to be doing the works of God? It's a good question, right? Okay, we understand, Jesus, that you're talking on a deeper level than food. Jesus, we understand that you're talking about something that is greater, something that is deeper, so help us with this. What do we have to do to earn that? <clears throat> what do we have to do to achieve that? There's a, a desire, but there's also a self-sufficiency. They believe that they are capable of doing the works of God. We just need to know what they are. <clears throat> and so they, they get their, their 
iPads out, and they say, would you list it out for us? We want this bread. Tell us, what does it take to get it? We're ready. I got my notepad. I'm ready. You list it out because I want this bread. I want to earn it. So you tell me, what do I have to do to receive this bread? What exactly does God require? You know what they're going to? Religion. It's religion. Okay, what do I have to do to get this bread? That sounds good. I I like it. But what do I have to do in order to get it? All other religions are built upon working your way to God. Do you realize that? All other religions are built among working my way to God. In Buddhism, you want to achieve nirvana. The way that you achieve nirvana is through wisdom, it's through ethical conduct, and it's through mental discipline. In Hinduism, there's three ways. The way to salvation is the way of works, the way of knowledge, and the way of devotion. In Islam, there's a combo of faith and works. It says in the Quran, it says, And those who believed and did good works, they are the inhabitants of the garden. The Mormons teach that there is much work to be done, but also you must be very devoted to the church Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It is a works-based religion. And we understand this because in just about every area of life, what do we do? We work for what we have. Anybody here got a home? How'd you get that home? You worked for it. Anybody have a car? How'd you get that car? You worked for it. You've got a spouse? How'd you get that spouse? In many ways, you work for it. You got kids? Well, you work with them, right? Everything that we know in life, it requires this work. We put in the effort. We put in the work. And so the listeners, they say, okay, that sounds good. Bread of life sounds good. Now, what do I have to do? What's the transaction? What, and, and notice works is plural, okay? Not what is the work. What are the many works that I've got to do? List it out for me. What do I have to do to accomplish this? And it it may be that there's many of us in here this morning, and we still believe that we must work our way to God. We believe that we are earning God's love by being in church this morning, or maybe I'm earning the love of God because I'm going to give some money to the offering. I'm going to earn the love of God by by singing or by teaching. Or I'm going to go on Wednesday and I'm going to drive a bus. I'm going to pick up the wildest kids you've seen in your entire life. And then I know God's going to look on me and he better smile at me. And so there's a lot of folks that believe they've got to work their way to salvation. They've got to earn their way to salvation. But look at verse 29. If you write in your Bible, I don't know if you do or not, if you highlight, look at this. Look at verse 29. Jesus answered them, and he said, this is the work of God. Not plural, but singular. This is the work, the one and only. This is all it is. The one and only work of God is that you believe in him whom he has sent. 
There's not many works. There's not a listing of works. It's not that you go through your life and you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this and then maybe you hope to achieve salvation. The one work of God, listen, the one work of God is to believe in Jesus. We cannot miss that. The one work of God is faith in his son. It is trusting in the person and the work of the son. There is a work to be done, but God has already done it. Amen? And so he says it's not a lot of works. It's not a listing. It is the one work of God. Works are to be done, but they are to be done below and subordinate to faith. If you don't have faith, then you can do no works that please God. Works are worthless when there is no faith. Jesus says what it comes down to is to believe. We are saved by faith. We are saved by grace. That's why Ephesians tells us, for by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not a result of work so that no man can boast. You didn't do anything. Listen, and I, I don't mean this to put you down, but, but you're nothing. God did it all. You're saved by grace. You could never be good enough. You could never do good enough. And that's what is so beautiful about it. You cannot work. You cannot earn. Salvation comes by grace. Grace is scandalous. Grace is hard to accept, it's hard to believe, and it's hard to receive. Grace shocks us in what it offers. It is truly not of this world. Grace teaches us that God does for others what we would never do for them. God, grace is a gift that costs everything to the giver and nothing to the receiver. It's given to those who don't deserve it, who barely recognize it, and who hardly appreciate it. And that's why God alone gets the glory for your salvation. So he says you've got to believe. Well, you say, well, what's the next question? How do I believe? What does it mean to believe? To believe, it means that you trust. It means that you trust in something with, with such, such clarity that you're willing to commit your life to it. Do y'all remember, I'm sure you do if you were here, the illustration where Brother Charles about broke his neck? Y'all remember that? Well, let's pretend that there's this big old valley here still. I'm not jumping because I'm not doing that. But let's pretend for my illustration, there's a bridge that goes across it. Okay? And, and so you step back and you look at the bridge, big canyon, but there's a bridge. And you say, I believe that bridge could hold me up. And you watch other people, and they walk across that bridge. And you say, I really, I really trust that that bridge could hold me up. But you don't really have belief until you do what? You walk across it. That's when you have belief. When you commit your life to it, when you take a step and you begin to step across that bridge, it shows I trust it. It shows I believe in it. It shows I have faith in it. And so when he says believe, it's not just intellectually. It means that you put your life into it. You commit your soul to it. That's what it means to believe. When he says it's not a lot of works, it is a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, I, I struggle with that. If we're honest, there's a lot of folks and they struggle with belief. 
I struggle with believing. I, I was talking to a guy a few weeks ago on my back porch, and we went through the plan of salvation. And at the end of it, he said, I just, just don't know if I believe. I don't know if I believe. I say, well, what do I do? Well, one, I want you to realize that's okay. It's okay to be at the point that you say, I just, I'm not sure. Remember what, what Jesus did to Thomas? Thomas says, I'm not going to believe unless I put my hand in the hole of his hand. Unless I put my hand in his side. The Bible says that Jesus came and he met Thomas and said, hey, Thomas, why don't you come here? Why don't you touch my hand? Hey, Thomas, why don't you come here and put your hand in my side? You see, I, I believe that in many ways, now follow me on this, in many ways, if you'll do the work, God will meet you where you are. Listen, you may be here and you may say, look, I just, I'm not sure. You say to believe and to really sincerely believe, but I'm just not sure. That's okay. That, that's a good starting point. That is okay. But don't stop right there. Look into it. I believe there's so much of our faith that is, is verifiable and that God can use to push you to a belief. You say, well, give me an example. What are you talking about? Do you realize that in our Bible, there are many prophecies which have been fulfilled. You realize that in Isaiah, it was prophesied that a man named Cyrus would rebuild the temple. 150 years later, a man named Cyrus is born, and what does he do? He releases the Jewish people to go back and rebuild the temple. It's incredible. You realize in the Bible, it says that the Jewish nation will be intact when Jesus returns. It says the Jewish nation will be intact when Jesus returns. Now, let me ask you a question. Does anybody here have a friend who is a Hittite? No? Anybody here have a friend who's a, a Philistine? You say, well, I got a tall friend, but I don't know if he's a Philistine. You don't have a friend who's an Ammonite, do you? Anybody have a friend who is Jewish? You know someone who's Jewish, right? That's what the Bible says. Do you realize the Bible says that the Jewish nation would be scattered, but then what was going to happen? <clears throat> They're going to come back to their homeland. And in 1948, that's exactly what happened. The Jewish people from all over the world came back to their homeland just like the Bible said it would happen. It's amazing. So you can look at prophecies. You can look at archaeology. Archaeology. You know what skeptics said? They said, well, you know, when you look at Abraham... When you look at Abraham, it talks about his hometown of Ur. That's kind of fun to say. It talks about his hometown of Ur, but the problem is we've never found it. And so it must be false. But you know what they did? They began to dig, and they found the city of Ur, and they found a column. And on the column, it said Abram. Isn't that amazing? They said, well, you know, the Hittites, the Bible talks about the Hittites. We can't find the Hittites. And they began to dig. And now you can go to the University of Chicago and you can get a doctorate degree in Hittite civilization. It's incredible. The, the, the concern was, you know, the city of David. It, it was so vast. If it really existed, then we would have found it. And so for years, people said, it's just made up in the Bible until within the last 15 years, they begin to dig and they have found what they believe to be the city of David. And they did this carbon dating and it came back to the exact time period that the Bible says it existed. 
It's amazing. I'm saying if you will just begin to look, begin to study, I believe your faith will be strengthened. Or what about, what about the year? What year is it? You can talk in church. That's okay. It's the year 2018. You know what that's based on? Jesus. Our whole time period is based on before Christ and then the day of our Lord. Everything changed because of Jesus. When you look at the early church, you know what you find? You find a group who was timid and they were hiding. They were scared for their life. But then something happened and then they go out and they are just on fire. They're ready to die. You know what happened? They saw the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ and it changed history forever. I'm just telling you, it's not that we've got to believe in ignorance. That's what a lot of people think. They believe, I just got to believe. I'm not telling you to believe in ignorance. I'm telling you, this is true. If I didn't believe it, I wouldn't be doing this this morning. I'd probably be asleep this morning. Okay? I'm telling you, this is true. And so he says, it's not a lot of works that you've got to do. It is one work, and that work is that you must believe. See, a a lot of folks, they do what we call, they're hedging their bets. Okay? And folks come to church, and they come to church on Christmas and Easter. Do you know why they do that? Just in case. Right? Just in case this is real, I'm going to go twice a year. I I don't know. I don't have a a deep faith. I don't have a deep belief, but just in case. And he says, you got to believe. You've got to really believe. So let's go on. Look here. Look in your Bible. We'll continue. It says, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. He said, so, so what work are you going to do? You see, Moses brought the manna down from heaven. What about you? I, I want you to prove it to me. I want you to prove it. I, I know you fed the, the 5,000 men, all these people, but that must have just been the appetizer. I want more. So they're challenging Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, prove it to us. Jesus, give us something greater. You want to know what I find interesting? What had Jesus just done? An incredible miracle. But you know what? It's not enough. They want more. It's not enough. They want more. And I'm reminded of this. We could could take all day today and we could look Through prophecy, after prophecy, after prophecy, we can look at archaeology, we can look at history, we can look at anything you want to look at, but there will still be people who say, give me more. Give me more. It's not enough. Give me something greater. Give me something more. And that's why the Bible says it requires faith. It requires faith. A step of faith. God can work in your life. He can restore a relationship. He can mend your finances. He can can provide a job. And there will still be some who will say, yeah, but I still need a little bit more. I still need a little bit something extra. You've still got to prove it a little bit greater. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. 
Notice the substance changed. It went from bread to true bread. It wasn't Moses. Moses is just a man. What I'm talking about is the real bread. He says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread is a person. The bread is standing in front of you. You want a miracle? The bread is right here. You want something great in your life? The bread is right here. You want to be free? The bread is right here. You want purpose? The bread is right here. And the crowd said, sir, give us this bread always. Sign me up. That sounds good. That sounds great. And Jesus responds and he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Jesus is, has always been, and will always be the only true bread of life. He is the one who will fill you because nothing else can. If you miss everything else, realize this. Nothing will satisfy you in your life but Jesus. He says if you come to the true bread of life, you'll never be hungry again. You'll never wake up with this hunger that says, I'm just not complete. I'm just not satisfied. I just need something else because Jesus will come in and fill you up. He says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never thirst. Don't we live in a world where people are always searching for something? Always searching for some sort of satisfaction, some sort of fulfillment. And we think, if I just get a better job, I'll be satisfied. If I make a little more money, I'll be satisfied. If I, if I get another spouse, I'll be satisfied. If I do this, if I do this, if I do this, and it always ends up empty. And so Jesus looks at the crowd and he says, I am the bread of life. I've always been the bread of life. If you will come to me, you'll never hunger again. If you'll come to me, you'll never thirst again. A job won't do it. A spouse won't do it. A degree won't do it. A car will not do it. I am the bread of life. And the question is very simple. Do you believe? That's it. Do you believe? Jesus is walking with his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Well, you're a good man, Jesus. You're, you're a prophet. You're, you're like John the Baptist. And maybe you say, well, Jesus is awesome. Jesus is great. Jesus is a wonderful teacher. It's not enough. Do you believe that he is the true bread of life? Do you believe that he can give what nobody else can? Do you believe that he can satisfy in all the areas that you're not satisfied in your life? Let me ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. I want to read that over you one more time. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, I'm convinced that there are some in here this morning, and you've never truly accepted and received the bread of life. And maybe you're at a point you say, well, I just, uh, I'm like you said, I just don't know that I believe. Can I challenge you to look into it? Can I challenge you, don't, don't just use that as an excuse. Look into it. 
I believe you will believe. Maybe there's some in here, and today is the day of belief. Today is the day that you say, I, it, it makes sense. It, it goes on, we're going to look at this tonight. It says that only the Holy Spirit can draw to salvation. And so maybe the Holy Spirit is drawing you to be saved this morning. Let me challenge you. He may not draw you tonight, and he may not draw you next week. When the Holy Spirit draws, that's when you better respond. The Bible says the Holy Spirit draws to salvation. So if that's you in your life, I plead with you to respond. Respond and taste the bread and never hunger again. Or maybe you're here and, and you've been saved and you, you know you're saved, but you've been trying to find satisfaction in the things of the world. You've been trying to find satisfaction in money and hobbies in relationships and pleasures and the reminder today is that Jesus and only Jesus is the true bread of life he's the only one who will satisfy you and he's the only one who will fill you up so I don't know what you need to do I, I pray the, the spirit is working on your heart and I pray you'll be obedient to it Lord we thank you for this time God, we thank you for your blessings. Lord, we, we worship you knowing that you are the true bread of life. Those of us who have tasted, God, we know that it is good, and we rejoice in that. Lord, I pray for those who have not. I pray if you're drawing one to salvation, God, today will be the day. Lord, I pray if you're, you're showing us ways that we're not being faithful and obedient, God, that we will do so. Let us to live like people on a mission, Lord. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. Let me encourage.